started. We're starting a new series today called Christ Born in Us. And Christmas is not just a time of us celebrating that Christ is born. We, we wanted to highlight during this season that Christ is born in you. So if it were just the, the, the series title Christ is Born, of course, we know that. But we want to really highlight that Christ being born has a significance to you personally. And uh, today we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus. Anybody done one of the Ancestry.com or anybody ever, I mean, it's kind of a privilege to be able to do such a thing, but uh, if you've ever done such a thing, I'm in the middle of doing one of those now, and I'm anxiously waiting on my DNA to be tested and, 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 to, and to find out exactly where do I come from, where do my people come from. A lot of my family members have not done this homework to find out where we're actually from, and it bothers me. I want to know. Um, that being said, there's this excitement of thinking, and of course the ads want you to think this from Ancestry, that you're going to find out this exciting news and it's going to unlock some new secret and all of a sudden you're going to become rich or something like that. Um, or there's this fear that there's going to be something revealed in my family tree that I didn't really want to know about. Yikes. Maybe there's something there that I didn't want to hear or didn't want to know. Uh, the ancestry or the genealogy of Jesus is very similar. The more you dig into it, the farther back you go, the closer you look at it, uh, there's some things about it that will bring some pleasant surprises to you. And so I want to look at, look at that today as recorded here in Matthew and in Luke. And there are basically five notorious women that we're going to look at that show up in this genealogy that... Uh, Matthew and Luke want us to see that Jesus is king. Jesus is king of the nations, and this is a genealogy of grace. So wherever we're coming from about our family tree or our heritage or our lineage, um, as sad or as happy as we may be, this, this story of the genealogy of Jesus is going to be one of grace, a genealogy of including sinners like me and you. And so that gives us great hope. Uh, I'll, read, I'll read it for us. It's really, really quite interesting. Matthew chapter 1, and try not to yawn, try not to get bored about a genealogy. If you've ever done a Bible reading through the year, you stumble upon these genealogies throughout Scripture, and sometimes you're just prone to fast forward right over them. Um, but there's reasons why they're all there, and every one of those names are very important. We're not going to go through all of those names but we want to highlight some. Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezrah, the father of Ram. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And now, selected verses from Luke chapter 3. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Malia, son of Minna, son of 
Mattatha, son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahulael, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Wow, we went all the way back to Adam. I left out a lot. I didn't quote all of them there, but um, there's a lot of son ofs there in the book of Luke, and you'll notice there weren't any women that show up there in the book of Luke. And in Matthew's account, he's very... um, aware to make sure that he highlights some, some of these women. So let's, let's do that ourselves. These five notorious women in Jesus' family all have something in common, disgrace. Either, either there's uh, been some, something committed against them that's been disgraceful or something that they've suffered themselves that was, that was of disgrace. Uh, they had tainted reputations. They weren't looked at with respect. Uh, they would likely have endured contempt by others who maybe knew them in that, in that culture. And in, in genealogy, otherwise dominated by, by men, these women are exceptional illustrations of God's grace. So just, just a side note, isn't it beautiful how Jesus is highlighting, uh, and Matthew in particular is highlighting, that Jesus' lineage is coming from some of these notorious women. Um, who had a bad reputation. Uh, the first one here, look in uh, chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 3. Tamar shows up. You'll see her name listed here. She, she gains notoriety in Genesis chapter 38. So if you go back in your reading, you'll see her there. Um, her, her story is one of deception. There's prostitution. There's incest when she couldn't get a child any other way. You may remember this story. She disguised herself as a prostitute and tricked Judah into having sexual relations with her. And it's from that illicit uh, union that twins were born, uh, Perez and Zerah. And thus Tamar and her son Perez joined Judah in the Messianic line. So uh, despite, and here's where God's grace, we call this a genealogy of grace. If you just stopped right there, you'd think, wait a minute. Um, How how did such a... um, bad lineage lead to the Savior being born. But, but despite the prostitution and incest, God's grace fell on all three of those undeserving persons, including a desperate and deceptive Gentile harlot. Key word there, Gentile. Um, she is uh, of, a, of a different nation, which again is going to highlight God's heart and the heart of Jesus as our Savior for all nations. This gospel will be for all nations. So Christ born in us is already showing us that your genealogy, yes, your genealogy, my genealogy, is connected with that of Christ. And that he's choosing, God is allowing and choosing different characters to be a part of the story, namely sinners. That even the Son of God would come from a person like Tamar, who's listed here. The second person you see in verse 5, Rahab. 
she's identified as a prostitute and a Gentile once you read more about Rahab. She's living in Jericho. Her story is found in Joshua chapter 2. And chapter 6, she's the one that gives hospitality to the Jewish spies that come by. If you remember reading that story. Uh, they came to Jericho and she hid them. And, and, and the king of Jericho, when, when the king wanted to kill them. So God's grace is right there in the genealogy through Rahab. Because he spared her her life and the life of her family members when Jericho was besieged, and and you'll remember, it was destroyed. Yet God is maintaining this person, this remnant, whom this promised seed of Messiah will come through, uh, Rahab. And uh, you can look at her confession of faith also, uh, Rahab's confession of faith found in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. She says, the Lord your God is a God who's in heaven above and on earth below. Um, Did you know that she's also listed, Rahab is also listed in Hebrews chapter 11? So New Testament, Hebrews, uh, chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Some people call it not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. Essentially, these are characters that show up in, in Hebrews chapter 11 as people that had faith in Christ and Rahab's name is listed there in spite of um, all of the dirt that is uh, mentioned about her in Scripture. Another, another person that's listed here is Ruth, uh, also in verse 5. She, too, was a Gentile. She's a Moabite, and uh, Ruth's people were polytheistic. They were pagans, uh, occasionally offering human sacrifices to idol gods. I mean, she's, she's not a... Uh, Hebrew Yahweh following God or a God knowing person. Uh, but God's grace to Ruth is um, that she, she had no right to marry an Israelite because she was a Moabite. I mean, just, just think about how detailed that is. She had no right, but by God's grace, she ends up marrying Boaz, becomes Boaz's um, wife. And uh, that's how she's included in this um, royal, royal lineage, that she becomes the grandmother of Israel's greatest King David. Beautiful. Beautiful um, specificity here. It looks boring when you start looking at this genealogy, but again, the, the further you dig and go back and start studying these people, you, you see God's grace was totally at work. The next... Uh, Notable woman here is, it says in, in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 1, Uriah's wife. Her name is Bathsheba. Uh, this is a character. Uh, Uriah was, was, was in King David's army. And this woman, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, uh, it says in Scripture that she was bathing rooftop. She was beautiful and got the attention of David. And uh, the way the story goes, or the way we normally tell the story, is that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I would like to present it was probably a lot more like rape. And the reason why I say that is David's position and authority alone of being king probably gave her no other option but to uh, come and have sex with him. So, um, so here's Bathsheba. Um, God's grace to Bathsheba and David. Uh, what we learn from this horrible affair is that God can transform situations and bring about newness and hope. 
And the way we see that is in, is in Psalm chapter 51 and Psalm chapter 32, where we see David finally confessing his sin and repenting of his sin to God and receiving forgiveness. Now, you remember the son of their uh, sinful union uh, died in, in infancy, but the next son born to them was Solomon, known for his wisdom. That's grace. That's grace in a, in a heritage and a lineage that really was, was going towards ruin. When you think about the, the affair, the rape, everything that took place, yet God allows this person, Bathsheba, to be in the family tree of Jesus. It's amazing. Uh, the, the next one you, that you see here is Mary. Mary, chapter uh, 1 of Matthew, verse 16. And by the way, next week we'll be looking at Mary's song. Mary burst out into song in, in, in the book of Luke whenever she finds out that she's pregnant with the Messiah. Uh, next week we'll be looking at that song that she sings. Uh, she, she's depicted as a, as a young woman here in Scripture. She's uh, approximately 14 years old. I mean, as you, as you go back and do some, uh, some biblical and extra-biblical study, you, you, you find out she's probably around 14 years old. She's a virgin. Um, she's engaged to Joseph. And again, in that culture, engagement was one that was very serious. It was a contract between two individuals before they would live together, uh, before sex was um, you know, going on in that relationship. Uh, this idea of engagement was taken very, very seriously. And the, the penalty for sexual misconduct between two individuals was to either be stoned to death or you would either annul the engagement as though it never even happened. It was something very, very shameful uh, that, that would have happened in that relationship. Um, sending the woman, you see, back to her parents and back to her family full of shame. She's not accepted in that relationship anymore. Um, and Matthew gives the story of Joseph's struggle with Mary's uh, virgin conception. Right? Get in the mind of Joseph here for a little bit. That Joseph, uh, he's described as a good man. He, he's not wanting to bring disgrace or death on Mary, but he's most likely struggling to believe that she had not been unfaithful in the relationship. Was there something else going on? Um, uh, Joseph uh, does believe Mary after an angel appears to him. And for some of us, uh, you know, it's like, okay, God, I just need you to talk to me. Um, perhaps Joseph was that same person, and an angel appears to Joseph and assures Joseph she is a virgin, and yet she will conceive. That means she will be impregnated by God, the Holy Spirit, and there will be a baby who is the Savior of the world right uh, in, inside of Mary. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a miracle. Um, Left unsaid is how Mary had the courage to tell Joseph that she was pregnant. I mean, when you, when, again, when you think about a woman now approaching her, her uh, fiancé and, and telling him that she's pregnant, when both of them know that they haven't been involved in that way, just the courage there that's in her heart, the willingness uh, to be a servant of the Lord uh, allowed her to, to bear the shame of this pregnancy, if you will, perhaps a very... Um, one that would not be understood. And contrary to claims of Mary's immaculate conception, 
as we've probably heard out there, Mary is a sinner, just like everyone else of us. She's a human being. She is born in sin, as the psalmist says. There is no immaculate, perfect conception. And that's the whole beauty of what we're trying to get across here. And Matthew and Luke is trying to get across to us is this is a genealogy of grace. It's not that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah and the Lord and is perfect because Mary was. No, Mary was not. Mary was not. And so the same goes with the rest of those uh, notable women that we've just talked about. So in summary, a summary of this genealogy of God's grace, number one, God is able to take those who appear insignificant and unlikely to succeed and make something beautiful and powerful happen through those people. Those people are you. Those people are me and others who aren't even necessarily associated with this family of God yet. Do you see that that's your genealogy? And I know that, I know, here's just a pastoral moment. I know that all of us have those moments, maybe on a daily basis, definitely on a weekly basis, where we think everybody's forgotten about me. Life is unbelievably challenging. Um, Things are not going right. I didn't sign up for this. And uh, we, if you're like me, looking at your family tree, you might be prone to conceal some things about that family tree if you were to find out something that's not so pretty in that family tree. But Jesus and Matthew and Luke here, they're highlighting, they're highlighting these people that show up in this tree to to highlight grace. Uh, The second thing to note here in summary is that God's salvation is for all. It's for all. Whatever your lineage, whatever your ethnicity, wherever you come from, from around the world, or if you're a person that you don't really know where you come from or how you fit, God's salvation is for all. Keep in mind, in Luke's day, in Luke's day, there were those who believed that salvation was only for the Jews, right? Only for the Jews. Only reserved for the Jews. And so first century, when Gentiles, meaning non-Jew people, that's you, by the way, you, me, and you, when those people began to be included into God's family, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Yet it was on the heart of God from the very beginning. In Christ, see, Christ being born in you, you see, you have a new beginning. You have a new genealogy. You have a new ancestry. And uh, lastly is that God is sovereign. God is sovereignly incredibly able to accomplish his purposes in a sinful world no matter what happens. When Juan led us in song earlier this morning, and as Juan was quoting in the call to worship from Isaiah the prophet, who's prophesying 700 years before Jesus would even be born, when he's prophesying there in chapter 9 that the government will rest upon his shoulders. I don't know about you, but I, I think, wow, that'd be great. That'd be great right about right now. The government of peace, justice, tranquility, harmony, love. All of that is is what's being promised to here by saying God is sovereign. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that God works in all things for the good. For the good 
of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. So in conclusion, see God's love to produce beauty out of sinful family backgrounds, ugly, nasty, secret stories that may lie in your ancestry. See God's love to make foreigners his children. See God's love to reconcile his enemies. And see God's love to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Christ born in us. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we, we pray and we, we just ask for a, a deeper, deeper understanding of Christ, you coming to us, that light has truly come to us in, in a dark place. Father, we thank you that you've included us in this royal ancestry and genealogy, that because of Christ, uh, our future has been changed and our past is, is something that we don't have to be embarrassed about. God, we thank you that Christ has come and we pray that you would help us receive this Christ as King and as Lord. And so we now together pledge glad allegiance together to King Jesus. Amen.